We just had an awkward handshake. We kind of missed. The fingers were off. Sorry about that. It's probably me. And, but you got in at midnight, so that's it. Hey, thank you guys for uh, putting up with me even after you found out I was here. Thank you. I appreciate that. doesn't always happen at my uh, family, so I'm really thankful. Uh, I wanted to, uh, to say for you guys who arrived like at midnight last night coming in from the Dominican, where's your tan? What, what were you guys doing? Seriously. I know it's rainy season, right? So you're like, my tan left when I left Michigan. So yeah, hey, thank you for serving over there. That's fantastic. What an awesome, awesome church this is. And I'll just share with you, it has been, um, we've been ministering for 18 years. A year before that, we started uh, the planting process in Hillsdale County. And this church has been a part of that, financially sometimes carrying us. You didn't know that. Um, because if we told you, you'd go, yeah, are we the only people in this boat? Quick, get some help. But um, I want to thank you for that. Um, because of that, we have these really awkward um, bracelets. They say Harambe on them, which is not in honor of a dead gorilla. I just wanted you to know that because if you were confused and wondered what our message was, although I don't mind talking about the dead gorilla, I really don't blame a gorilla for dragging a child around an enclosure. I don't. I really blame the parent for losing track of a child around a gorilla enclosure. That's kind of, I've had enough kids to know if your kid is missing for like, I don't know, six seconds, too long, too long, like a leash is necessary. And around a gorilla enclosure, where else are they going? That's, they're dropping down. And that, that was tragic, tragic. So we have these bracelets that say Harambe. Actually, there's a story to it. Um, you guys are fortunate because if you, uh, you know, if they recorded the first sermon and you listen to that, it's never anything like this one. <laughs> Usually because I'm thinking at the end, boy, that didn't, that was not, I'm throwing that out. So uh, the uh, Harambe bracelet works this way. When I was in college, I played on a, uh, on a national competitive uh, um, soccer team. I didn't, well, play, play is a loose term. I, uh, I was on the bench quite a bit for a team that was a national competitor. And we had this cheer. We had so many international students on our team because it was soccer. It was football, football. Um, and uh, so we played and uh, they would yell across the fields at each other in their own languages, which was very confusing because you didn't know what they were saying. So we had kids who were speaking Swahili and we had some other kids who were speaking Greek and we had other kids who were speaking like real English, you know, the kind that, oh, you know, Bobby sucks, whatever. And didn't know what they were saying either. And then you had kids from the South and we, who cared? Uh, just, we didn't know what they were saying. So uh, we, came, we had this meeting where we were, we were saying, look, we can't understand you. So we need to understand each other on the field. So we need to at least pick a language that we're going to be yelling commands at each other. So we decided on English, not because it's the best language, but because the English kids were incapable of learning all the other languages. And the other kids were already here in the States, so we figured, hey, they got a leg up on this. So uh, they started speaking English, but that was only the beginning of the story. Um, what we would do before every game is we had a chant, and we had a chant in several different languages. The, uh, the key word was Harambe, which was Swahili, and it was uh, the word for together. It meant together. 
And so that successful team chanted together in another language. It was kind of fun, um, and it caught on because the team was competitive. There were a lot of people who would come, and they would chant with us, but they couldn't, they couldn't really remember all the words to the chant because it, it, was, it was tough. And so when they were yelling Greek, they were yelling, and we'd yell Harambe, and the crowd would yell Harambe. And then uh, we yelled some other things and everybody would yell her. And I remember it. I just wouldn't say it in front of you. And the reason I won't is because um, that team was then asked by the chaplain of the, of the university. They said, hey, this is such a neat concept. Why don't you come and lead a chapel on this Harambe concept? And, you know, teach everybody the chant. And we're like, oh, okay. We got back together as a soccer team. We're like, they have no idea what we're saying. Uh, <laughs> But we can talk about Harambe. So the, uh, the, rest of the, the rest of the chant, it wasn't that brutal, but it was things like, today we make this field your burial ground, and uh, th- things like that. <laughs> Warm words, warrior words, words that let the other team know, the Swahili speakers, that, uh, <laughs> that we we're going to kill them. So that's what Harambe was all about, and uh, we started touring around with these, and then the gorilla dragged the boy around an enclosure, and hence... You know, people who love gorillas also. It's something you can wear everywhere. All right, so that's my only swag <laughs> pitch right now. We've got stuff, but I'm not going not gonna to pitch it to you. I, um, I want to thank you on behalf of my, uh, my wife and my kids. We just got back from the airport as well. Yesterday we picked up my oldest daughter, Madison. She uh, turned 21 not too long ago, and she came back in yesterday uh, from a place called Sierra, Sierra Leone, which is in West Africa, where she worked with uh, kids who had been uh, trapped and, um, and sold into slavery. She uh, particularly focuses on um, the sex slavery market. She was working with the USMC a little bit there, as well as working with some aftercare facilities. And that's her heartbeat. That's been her heartbeat since she was a 15-year-old girl. And so when she came back into town, it was like, wow, it's so good to have her back after working with some of the, some of the worst possible um, conditions and uh, just really neat. So uh, she came back in, empathized with you guys who just came back in, and then um, picked up another daughter from, um, from a camp in the UP where uh, it's rained a lot. And so I have two daughters who are on staff there. They're serving the Lord as camp staffers. And then my youngest tomorrow will transition uh, back up here to Lansing where she is um, doing a Broadway intensive at the Wharton Center. So that's what's going on in our life. My wife couldn't be here because she said, I get my, I get two of three daughters for 24 hours. I'm, I'm just going to spend a few minutes with them. And I said, that's fantastic. Please do that. You can pray for us. God is um, aging us. <laughs> and I, I would like to pray against that evil, that that thing. It's just, isn't it strange? You know, when I was 21, I used to look in the mirror and I'd say, I'm always going to be like this. And at 57, I look in the mirror and I say, why, why bother? Just, just get me the ice cream and get out of my way. I, as long as I have a remote. So, uh, I just want to thank you for your prayers. Over the last 18 years, this church has been invested financially. You've been invested in prayers. You've been invested as friends. You've built stuff around the farm. And um, over these last 18 years, over 6,000 students in Hillsdale County have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of them, hundreds of them, have responded to the gospel. And that's, that's you. That's Harambe. That's the body of Christ 
working together. That's Harambe. So I, uh, I want to thank you for that. I, I also want to give you some good news. Um, <laughs> like that's bad news. But uh, I want to give you some other news. Um, so we launch our second Crossroads Farm in Kalkaska County. Uh, that is called Crossroads Farm Northwest. I don't know if we should go further north or further west to call it Northwest. I don't know. Maybe we'll launch another one calling it more Northwest. And, um, but w- uh, right now it's in Kalkaska County. That is where we're launching. A uh, team of, of two husband and wife teams um, will launch that particular ministry in Kalkaska. It is one of the poorest counties in Michigan. People don't know that because it's so close to Traverse City. And we're used to the tourist centers, not the communities that surround those tourist centers. And so they'll launch in the fall of 2018. Jerry Bernard and his wife, Andrea, and Joe and Tracy Castaneda are going to head that ministry. They're excited. The churches are excited. In fact, Joe had a really interesting conversation where he was explaining what he's doing in Kalkaska. And they said, well, so what are you doing? He said, uh, we're part of a youth ministry that cooperates with local churches. And we bring in a youth ministry that, that just works with small rural churches so that kids can experience what it's like to have a body of believers that are energized. And we, we're doing world-class youth ministry. And, uh, and the person said, no, you're not. And he said, wait, what? And he said, no, you're not coming. And uh, Joe said, no, we are coming. We're here. We live here. I have a house. It's right around the corner. We have to come here. This is where we live. And he said, no, you're not coming. He said, stuff like that does not happen in Kalkaska County. I want you to hear something about the rural communities around the United States. And I'm not really going to focus today on that. But I want you to hear that rural communities are hopeless. They really don't believe good stuff is going to happen. They really don't buy it. That's because rural communities are some of the most desolate communities in the United States. And it is so difficult to have a positive, upbeat attitude when nothing good really ever does happen. So because of that, uh, Joe was able to share, no, not only are we coming, we have a start date. We've already begun training. We've begun training pastors and churches how to accept students. We've already begun to select student leaders. We've already started the work of training the team. We're here. We're working and we'll, we'll see you in the fall of 2018. God, God's blessing, and we're excited about that. And God will multiply, not just add to the number of kids that are accepting Jesus Christ. I'm excited. I don't know about you, but thank you again. And then, no, yeah, please hold your applause until the end of this presentation. And then uh, after that, and I'm really excited about this, Harrison County, Ohio. I'm not excited about Ohio. There are people who are Buckeyes down there, but um, yeah. Still want him as your pastor? Still? Really? After that? After that? So I'm excited about this. uh, Right in between Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and Akron, Ohio is a little community called Harrison County. Harrison County doesn't have that many people actually in it. Um, Like most of our communities, it's uh, poverty stricken. It's in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And uh, we had a businessman who approached us a couple years ago and he said, what you are doing will transplant to Harrison County. And we said, yeah, that's why we're doing it. And he said, great, then I'm going to help you do it. And basically, he said, I will start gathering your team. I'll gather the pastors. About uh, five months ago, we had meetings with eight different churches who said, we're in. What do you want from us next? And because of that, uh, we've started to pray for the leadership to come from that community. That's the next critical factor. There have to be two components of our leadership team. There has to be a student ministries leader, and there has to be an administrative leader. 
Both of those parts have to exist for that community to exist, so we're praying those in. Right now, uh, a young man named Luke Marshall, he doesn't know I'm asking you to pray for him, but Luke Marshall is a young man from that community, went away to school, wanted to do youth ministry, and had a real bad experience. Just had a church kind of burn him, and he's like, oh, man. And so he just called me a couple weeks ago and said, so if you're really coming to Harrison County, I think maybe we ought to have a conversation. So I said, all right, Luke, let's start praying, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. And so Luke is a gentleman that might be part of that Harrison County team. The businessman, in the meantime, invited us down, and uh, he took care of our team, our planting team. And so we were there, and uh, he took us out to a, a section of land, and he said, so this land right here, I'm giving it to you. sounded really biblical. Like, you know, this land, look up your, lift up your eyes, east, west, all of it. I'm giving this to you. And we said, that's fantastic. And he said, I'll build your building. If you have not been down to Crossroads Farm, uh, I'll give you the quick version of this. So we built a building about a little over a year ago. We completed it, opened the doors. Um, we thought it would last longer. <laughs> so we built this building uh, that seats 230 students. And I will tell you that now we're saying, okay, we've been in it for a year. Now what do we do to accommodate the numbers that are starting to come? Which is an incredible thing in the middle of nowhere. And it's even worse. Uh, we determined that we were going to buy some more vehicles to transport kids. But we discovered something. It's mathematical. If you buy more buses and you put kids in them, you have more kids show up. Which is a real problem. Um, I, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you our game room, which is a really big game room. If you are there 20 minutes before we start our ministry, you have to walk sideways through the crowd. It's that packed. And so we're thinking, man, we really needed to rethink this. That building, though, uh, God has used, and it is incredible. It is packed absolutely, and I mean this without exception, every Sunday night with teenagers. And now we're thinking, oh, do we split them? Do we, do we just not allow kids? Do we, you know, exclude ugly kids? What do we do? And, um, but your theme is ugly, ugly faith, so we'll just... Yeah, there it is again. All right, uh, I was hoping there was a different picture. In seventh grade, I wasn't proud of it, but, um, you know. I want you to know that God isn't moved. He is working. And He's doing incredible things across the world. And you're part of that. And you can be invested in that. I also want you to know that God is at work in your life. My life theme is simple. It's that God is far more concerned with who I am in Him than what I do for Him. And so this theme excited me. It excited me because, A, I'd already been studying in this direction. And B, I, I'm excited about the challenge that I get to bring today. Paul said something interesting, and this wasn't in the first sermon, so you get a benefit. Uh, he said this. He said, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me. It's an interesting statement. Paul said, I don't want to brag. I'll only brag about, about the cross. I'm only going to brag about the cross, about the death and suffering of Jesus Christ and what that, what that means to me. That's what I'm going to brag about. It's not some accomplishment. I love where this series is going, first of all, because one of my favorite chapters, one of most of our favorite chapters is the Hebrews 11 passage where it talks about these faithful few. I don't like the end of it. I like the story part at the beginning, the end where it's talking about being torn asunder and stuff. That, that's less exciting to me. But I love this chapter. 
And I love this chapter because of what it is. We tend to think it's a hall of fame for people who have really lived out their faith. I, I don't read it that way. I don't read it as if these are the guys who made it, these are the guys who accomplished it, these are the guys. I don't think that's why it's there. In fact, if anything's true of the Bible, you should be reading it and saying, how did this knucklehead get this line in here? Like, how did this guy get mentioned? Like, seriously. David? Okay, yeah, he was king. Okay, big deal. A lot of kings who didn't actually have an adulterous affair and then go out and kill the husband. How did he get to be man after God's own heart? Right? I mean, seriously, you read about Adam and Eve, those first couple days, they didn't really kind of, that was not an accomplishment. In fact, one of the things that I shared in the first sermon and I'll share with you is this, that I'm amazed at the cheapness that we sell grace off for. We sell our, our intimacy for. Here is Eve in the middle of a perfect garden and she sold this intimate daily relationship with the living God, the immortal God, the eternal God. She sold it for what again? A piece of fruit. Fruit. Okay, now, I like mango. <laughs> but I'm not selling my faith for it. Like, seriously, fruit. My wife always says, you should just have a piece of fruit. Because I'm always hungry. So she says, just eat a piece of fruit. And I think, and what will that accomplish? You put it in a pie. Now we're talking. <laughs> I mean, seriously. A piece of fruit. There's, there's fruit. There's fruit everywhere. And here's the funny part. Eve had fruit everywhere. There were fruit trees everywhere. But that one she'd never tried before. Ooh, that's a new fruit. i got to have that fruit. Uh, seriously? That's what happens on TV. After hours. All those telemercials where you're like, I could wash my car, but I don't have a sham. Wow. I've got to get that. You know, I'd cut my own hair if I had a Floby. Does anybody remember that? That was a vacuum cleaner attachment that just sucked your hair into the tube and cut it. <laughs> That's sheer genius. <laughs> Come here, Fido. There you go. I mean, seriously, the stuff we trade our faith for. And in this particular story, there's a trade-off that's part of the story. But I want you to catch a verse in Hebrews chapter 11. Because of all of these guys mentioned here, this is ugly. This guy's life was ugly. This guy's faith was ugly. Uh, I don't know if he was ugly, but his brother sure was. Here's what it says. By faith, Jacob. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each one of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. Done. That's his blurb. That's the thing. By f okay, wait. What did he do? By faith, what did he do? By faith, Jacob, when he was dying. So far, no great accomplishment, right? I, I was sharing this, and I'll share it. I, I think that one of the critical things that I, I love teaching young people is this, that this moment will happen. The moment where you stand and you, you take an account of your life, it happens. And one of the keys to maturity is learning to take into account my life before I get to the end of it. 
Because at the end, you can't do as much to change stuff. When you're young, every decision is critical. I was explaining uh, to a number of people, Madison, uh, so my oldest daughter came back from Sierra Leone, where she wasn't just processing another culture. She wasn't just processing ministry. She wasn't just processing what what this whole uh, human trafficking issue is. But she was processing it through the grid of a 21-year-old girl who has all of her life ahead of her. And the issue is, will she let this be the definition of her life? That accounting that happens before you get to 95. When you're 95, you're thinking, had some good, good moments. Been there, got the scars. Yeah, I can't get up. I mean, at some point, you, there's not a lot of change. But young, a young person who takes into account their life young, a young person who stands, and by young, that's relative. I, I, I consider myself young. Take into account what's ahead, what's potential. Now, if you are 95 and you're sitting here, it doesn't mean I just gave you permission to sit. Because there's nowhere in God's Word that it says that. I love this passage because of a weird little phrase. And the weird phrase in Hebrews chapter 11, where it's talking about Jacob, is while he was dying, he's blessing Joseph's sons. And you're thinking, that's it? That's what he got in? No, he got in for some other reason. What did he get in for? And the Bible tells me what he got in for. It's this weird phrase. And worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. That's how he got in. That's the story that's too long to write in a verse. As he leaned on his staff, he, he, to- he told, hey, blessings, blessings, blessings. They're like, yeah, hey, uh, so Gramps, I want to ask you another question. Like, what's the deal with the cane? And he's like, I'm glad you asked. Have you ever asked an old person why they're old and beat up? And they brag about it, don't they? You know, like, why do you have that glass eye again? Well, let me show you. They're, I mean, they're willing to pull it out. I, I, I love that. If you get a group of guys together, I don't know if this happens with girls as much because I've never really, it'd be an awkward thing. But if you get a group of guys together, they will start showing you scars and comparing them. They're like, hey, you think that's something? Look at this. Look at this one right here. I have a weird scar on my body this year that is a funny story. I, uh, I had a surgical procedure and I went to work right after because that's what I do. And so I was sitting there and I felt like I was sweating, but I wasn't. And I reached my hand up under my shirt and I pulled it out and it looked like I'd been shot. Like there was, my hand was covered in blood. I'm like, all right, so this is my favorite shirt. How do I get it off one handed? That was really what I was thinking. And so I called my wife and I said, okay, so I'm guessing something wrong with the sutures. Like they probably didn't quite get it, you know, locked up tight enough. And so, but here's the good news of that story. I'm fine. Don't worry. It's not going to happen again. But the good news is I discovered the quick way into, into surgery. Come with all the blood just all over you, quick admission, and the second one's free. Awesome. We love bragging about our scars. Why? Because we know what the cost was. It, it makes you something special. You know, even childhood scars. I have a nasty one from sliding into third base on my leg. We were playing road. We were playing road baseball. I was safe. I mean, seriously, I forgot for a split second we were playing road bla- baseball. It was a tight play. I went in, and. The road took half of me. 
It's a cool scar to show. Look at how stupid I am, right? We, we show scars. We tell stories. We share. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, look, if I boast in anything, I boast about the cross. Because the words that we, that we herald, the words that we're about as believers, the words that we're about as a church are words that indicate brokenness, scarring, woundedness, destruction, demolition, failure, tragedy. We talk about grace. You don't need grace unless you've messed up. You don't need mercy unless you're dumb. You don't need forgiveness unless you've made mistakes. You don't need, you, you don't need any of those words unless you're not perfect. And the beauty of being a Christ follower is that of all the world religions, the only one that gets the fundamental truth of our lives, which is we do not have this, right? It's Christianity. Every other world religion gives you a couple more rules and says, now will it work? It's like, it's like the people that tick me off on TV who tell me how I can be slim in 30 days. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like, you can give me all the advice you want, but my wife has a cake in the refrigerator. And so I'm flawed. And you can tell me the right stuff to do, but I'm flawed. Now, for some of you, you're like, well, that's not my sin. That's yours, brother. You go ahead with it. And I'll tell you, we're both dying. I'll die with frosting on my face. You judge. My point is that all of the world, all of the world's words that mean religion are perfection, right? Success, power, prestige. All of our world, uh, words are failure, sin, death, dying. We don't need resurrection unless we're dead. Praise God. Christianity is the only faith that heralds the fact that we're messed up and we know it and we need a Savior and He took care of it. Yeah, that was good. That's a good amen. That's a good amen. That's when we should be, I, yeah, I'm saying that word that's weird. Because I believe that that's what this passage is. This is the great amen in Jacob's life. It says, while he was leaning on his staff. So why is that such a great story? If you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 32, you get the story, and you probably know the story, but I, I, I want to raise some interesting questions about that story. Genesis chapter 32. But before we get there, you need to know who Jacob was. Jacob is an interesting dude, and he's an interesting dude because his name actually means supplanter. Cheater. Like cheater. That's what it means. Can you imagine that's your name? I mean, the guy was already second in a two-man race coming out of the womb. And now they call him cheater. And he's like, who cheated? I was second. I mean, I didn't even win. I didn't get the blessing of my older brother. That way, I mean, I, I, I was trying. He was born. I love this passage. He's born and he's clutching his twin brother's ankle, his heel, the foot. It's like his brother's like, I'm leaving. He's like, I'm going with you. He doesn't even do childbirth on his own. The guy cheats the process by being born, by hanging onto his brother's heel. Which, by the way, I don't know much, but I could ask Bonnie. Wouldn't that be a better way to do twins? Like just one, and then the second one's coming out with it. You know, I'm hanging on. 
That, that's how this happened. And they give him a great name. We're calling you Jacob, supplanter, cheater. Wow. You know, sometimes we buy in to the names we've been given. I, I do. I buy into what people are saying about me. When I read that passage, I'm like, okay, so this guy, he's a cheater. They call him that at birth, and he lives up to it. His brother, uh, who should have been nicknamed Red or Harry, one or the other, because Scripture says he was born Red and Harry. Like I said, Jacob may not have been ugly, but his brother sure was. But he was, in that culture, he was the guy. Like, he was Red and Harry, and he was a tough guy. The guy killed stuff, ate stuff raw probably, didn't shave... You know, he was comfortable in the woods. He's the type of guy that could rip apart a transmission. He's the kind of guy that knew how to fix everything with duct tape. He's the kind of guy that you'd go, hey, do you have? And he's like, yeah, what do you need? I got it in my truck, which is a dually. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys. Here, use my gun. I got eight. That guy. And in that culture, in that hunting-gathering society that he was a part of, he, he carries the blessing. His dad liked him more. You know why his dad liked him more? Because he fixed food for him. Biblical. Look it up. It's like, yeah. You got any of that beef jerky? That's my boy. You're Jacob. You know what you do in your spare time? Well, you're not hunting. It says what Jacob did is he hung around the camp with his mom. He didn't get the blessing. He got good conversation. He learned the family pudding recipes. <laughs> but he's not the right kind of guy. And my point in this is he learned early on that the blessing didn't come to him naturally. So he figured a way to get the blessing by cheating it. He dressed up like somebody he was not. He went to somebody that couldn't recognize the difference. He told a lie. He got away with it. He got the blessing. And actually all he got was a title that meant nothing. Like a lot of Christians. We cheat the blessing because we cheat the process. And I want to share something with you that I think is profound because it's found in that passage where it says, as he leaned on his staff, here it is, that the process is the blessing. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what position you're in in life. I don't know where you are or what struggle you're going through. I want you to understand that the wrestle is the blessing. That in this life, that is where God refines us and where He cultures us and where He reforms us and where He resurrects us in the middle of the process. It's not found in a lottery pick or a short come. Look, we, we know this. We live in, in Michigan. We've watched the Detroit Lions draft year after year. We know success does not come in one fell swoop or, 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 or decades of fell swoops. <laughs> what we understand is this, that if I get it on the cheap, it's not worth anything. I mean, seriously, even if Eve had accomplished everything by trading off the blessing for a piece of fruit, what really would she have had? As I get to this chapter, chapter 32, the back story is really simple. Esau, the guy who had traded his, his, her, his inheritance, his, his blessing, he traded it for a bowl of stew. 
Now, I've been hungry before, but I'm not trading you anything for a bowl of stew. Like, I'd rather go to Taco Bell. You bring Taco Bell, we're talking. I'll give you a... And actually, I don't have a blessing. My family was cursed by the Archbishop of Glasgow in 1300. So all I've got is a legit, real curse. It's very thorough. Here's what it says in chapter 32, verse 23. After he, Jacob, had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions... What he's doing is he's waiting for a meeting with Esau. And he's got a sneaking suspicion that Esau is still ticked about the inheritance thing. Now, don't get this inheritance thing wrong. It's a blessing. It's a spoken blessing. It's not like, like Jacob was going to get, like he had nothing. He was living in poverty. Scripture is very clear. He had stuff right from the beginning. He, he, he was a privileged child, but he wanted the blessing. He wanted the favor of the father, and he didn't get it except by cheating. Esau had stuff too. They weren't going to be poor. That's not what that was about. It was about the favor of the father. And so he realizes that when he cheated his brother, his brother was still ticked about it, not because he actually gave up favor, but because there were certain titles that he'd given up, certain respect factors that he'd given up. And so his brother was still mad and he was afraid his brother was going to kill him. So he sends his family on ahead of the river and this is what happens. It's one of the weirdest passages in the Bible. It says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Okay, that's an odd statement. I mean, if you put it in this perspective, so you were waiting by the bus and before you got on the bus, a man wrestled with you until daybreak. You're like, I'm never taking that bus again. That's ridiculous. It's even weirder. There's no bus coming here. Like this is a a man standing on a side of a river and all of a sudden there's a man wrestling with him. The, The man, the man we learn later on, is the angel of the Lord. And that, that phrase, most often the angel of the Lord, refers to a pre-incarnate visage of Christ. This is Christ in the flesh before he becomes Jesus. It is the Messiah. And he's there with one guy standing on a riverbank and he starts wrestling. And my question is, why? Why bother? If you're God, why show up on a riverbank and go, that's the guy I'm going to wrestle today? Is that what God does? Does he just go, yeah, I think I can take that guy. (laughs) Really? Why? Here's why. Because it's the nature of God to find us when we're alone and to find us in our despair and to find us in the middle of our questions and to wrestle with us. It's what he does. We just don't wrestle back very much. When I was reading the passage, I, I, man, I was, so, I was so blown away by that concept that here Christ in pre-incarnate form thinks enough about Jacob that he shows up and he's like, let's go, big guy. Let's see about that name of yours. And so what happens is Jacob is, is wrestling. And Scripture says this, I, I love this, it says that when the man, again using that phrase, the man, when that man realized that he could not overpower him physically, and I'm like, wait, what? God can't overpower us? He, he, didn't, he couldn't take Jacob? Jacob was the mama's boy. Like he had no chance against Esau then. What's going on here? And the answer is this, that Christ, whether it's pre-incarnate or Christ at the cross or God of heaven, does not inflict 
his will by force on anyone ever. He's never done that. In fact, what he does is he wrestles, and it is not about winning or losing for God. It is about submission for God. And when he is in a wrestling position where he realizes we're locked up, we're even, hey, which way is this going to go? He reaches down to the hollow of Jacob's thigh and he cripples him. Why? Because he loves him. Because the process of brokenness is the process of grace. Because the process of failure is the process of forgiveness. The process of mess-ups is the process of mercy. The process of need is the process of love. And the process of death is the process of resurrection. Do you get why he cripples us? Because it's there that we find his grace, his mercy, his peace, his love. And without the failure, we don't get the blessing. So Jacob's hanging on. Because, well, he's a mama's boy. It's all he does. He's going to kick my butt in heaven. He's hanging on. And he says, the guy says, let me go, it's daybreak. And, and Jacob says, no, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Isn't it interesting, after all these years, the thing that he still desires is the favor. Still desires the blessing. Give me the blessing. I want to earn something. I cheated it one time, but I'm hanging on until you bless me this time. We are all like this. If you win the lottery, it's too much too soon. It never feels like an accomplishment. It's empty and it's void. If you've ever won a game because nobody else is playing, it doesn't really fulfill, right? I mean, seriously. It's one of those things I need to know that I am fulfilled and blessed by virtue of the wrestle. It doesn't come cheap. It comes with a limp. And my challenge to you this morning, church, is that you wrestle with God until He breaks you. Because a person who wins the wrestling match against God ultimately wins nothing. We allow him to break us, whether it's a death or a brutal hurt or a failure, whether it's a character flaw, whatever it is that allows God to break me is the same thing that allows me to boast in the cross. I lean on my staff and I say, you want to know what this staff is? I wrestled with God. And I lost. Let me give you a blessing that I actually earned. And he blessed his grandsons one at a time. It's the story of the cross in this ugly faith story, this cheater's story. This guy who lost the two-man race coming out of the womb. Let me pray for you. Lord God, this morning I realize that we are all broken. But some of us, some of us still have a little ways to go. Lord, I I pray this morning that you allow us to wrestle with you. We all know those places. Lord God, I pray 
that you allow us to wrestle with you until you break us. And then, Lord, give us the memory to brag on the staff that we lean on. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.